I'm Ian Dallimore, and this is Digital and Dirt. Everything should be an even playing field. And just start being more empathetic, and I think that makes you a better leader. Show them how you can use that power and influence and empathy and make the world a better place. All right, welcome back, guys. My next guest, wow, she has a, an amazing introduction. She was the youngest certified fitness instructor in America. She was a TV news anchor at the age of 22, where then she interviewed Sweating to the Oldies, and I'm showing my age, but Richard Simmons. She co-developed the DPAA's Women Empowerment Initiative and now is on the board. Her husband is also a well-known individual as well as a Daddy's in Charge and Lego Dad, who's a good follow on Instagram, I began to follow. And he was named as one of the funniest parents in America by Us Weekly. My new friend, Jennifer Willie, co-founder and CEO of Wet Cement. Great to have you. I am so thrilled to be here with you. So this is very intimidating for multiple factors here. I know you and I have recently become friends and we've enjoyed our conversation at CES and we really kind of dove deep and I was like, I have to have you on the podcast but I'm equally intimidated because you were a newscaster. So you're probably critiquing me every moment here. So pick away. Uh, I am not critiquing you at all. And I actually think I'm the least intimidating person on earth. So that's funny for me to, to even hear that. You are. You're a, you're a fantastic person. You're, you've really, like we had mentioned, the uh, DPAA, you co-developed the Women's Empowerment Initiative and Barry Fry was a guest and a good friend of both of ours. Maybe we start there, but I'm not going to let you get away without talking about the uh, Richard Simmons interview. But let's start there, developing that. How, what, and I know we're going to get into wet cement, but let's just start right there. Sure. So I was lucky enough to get to know Barry, the CEO of the DPAA Global Trade Organization, representing the digital out-of-home industry. Just through the industry itself, so prior to me launching my company, Wet Cement, five years ago, I had spent 20 plus years leading sales strategy and marketing teams in the digital media and ad tech industry. And Sarah and I knew each other. And when I started my company, he and I got together one time and he said, oh gosh, you know, I know this whole gender equity thing is, is important. And I, I'm a dad of daughters and I'm proud of that. So we started putting our heads together and said, how could we really create a meaningful initiative that will help to start to transform the industry from a gender equity perspective, because as you may be aware, it is a highly male dominated industry, especially when you look at the executive and leadership level. So how can we start to shift that at the same time, create a platform and a forum for women to be connected, inspired and empowered at the same time? Yeah. And it's, and we've also had two of my good friends, I call them good friends, Samantha Brown uh, with Mesmerize and Rosie O'Mara, who was also a guest from Grand Truth. I know she's, they both sit on the board with you and it's, you know, have, have been in the industry for 17 years. I have personally within Lamar have enjoyed to watch the women and the females kind of grow uh, within our company from our board, all the way the, up to a lot of our SVPs and our, our regional managers, Denise Shoemake, give her a shout out. She was the first female regional manager within our company. And, you know, again, she worked her way up starting from Alexandria, Louisiana to where she is today. And I know those type of stories make you very proud. So taking, taking a step back, cause I know you've had quite a story career. I want to stay, keep talking about the DPAA side, uh, but more importantly, the wet cement. So you're throughout your career, you started as a news anchor, as we had mentioned early on, where was that pivotal turning point 
Jennifer, where you were just like, okay, this is something that needs to be functional. Cause I believe from the research that I've done in the conversations that you were well be- before the entire DEI and the kind of women's movement towards educating women. So there probably wasn't one specific moment, but the why behind this. Sure. I think a lot of it has to do with almost like death from a thousand cuts in terms of being a woman working my way through a number of industries. And it really started, as you had mentioned, I was a 15 year old fitness instructor before it was even legal for me to be a fitness instructor. I got certified the week I turned 16. And starting at that point, having a really difficult time of between gender harassment and sexual harassment. I mean, I was 15 years old and the owner of the gym would make me turn around in my spandex uniform they made us wear to show off my quote-unquote assets to get my check for teaching fitness classes. And then um, I worked in the TV news industry, and I would be cursed at by my news director with expletives about why I looked like a man because I had short hair and what was wrong with me. And, And meanwhile, he had me have my hair cut short by their stylist to working in tech. And I was an IT management consultant for PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers back in the day, being the only woman on all male teams and just being completely left out of the conversation to working in sales at TV Guide and being the only woman on a team where the team lunches would be at a strip club. And I had the choice of showing up to the lunch or being the only person who wasn't there. And so it really became clear to me early on that, it's really hard to be a woman in business. And thankfully, nowadays, a lot of the bad behaviors have gone away just because there's legally, you can't do it anymore. You have way too much to risk. But so starting from the time I was early on in my career, I would help to build either the what we now know as women's employee resource groups within some of those organizations like WebMD and AOL, serving on the board of industry associations like the Alliance for Women in Media and building out programming to help women feel connected and find mentors and sponsors, but also very importantly, really help them understand what are those internal and external barriers that was holding them back from achieving their potential. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting, right? Because uh, obviously uh, I live in a different generation where that is still behave, but it wasn't yet in my, my work path in, and you would see it. And that person, you're kind of like, ah, that person's more of an asshole than, than a, a person that harasses. So I, I'm a firm believer that there's a lot more good men role models out there. I, I kind of pride myself on that. I have four fantastic, brilliant young females that work for me and I want nothing more. And I tell them all the time, I want nothing more than them to have opportunities to express who they are in meetings and to be valuable, but I, there, there is, I still see it today and it's unintentional, but it's kind of like, uh, employee X said this, but I'm going to go to Ian and just confirm. And I, which I believe, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I'll crack back and I'll say, no, that employee told you the facts of what you, the answer, there's no validity that's needed. Now, if you need more of an executive or more of a higher up, uh, opinion on it. Sure. But there, there's still this behavior where when I'll then have a side conversation with said sales manager and they're like, Oh shit, I didn't even realize I was going about it that way. And so I think having more people sounds like I'm bragging about myself, but there, there are a lot more good people that are out there. It's just recognizing and calling out people when the behavior happens. And, And again, it may be unintentional. So I'd love to get your 
your take on that. Well, and, and I actually couldn't agree more. I always say, I think like 99.5% of men working today are the good guys. And I am a mother of two sons. And so I am all about helping men understand what is the new playbook for them? Because a lot has shifted. So if you've been in business for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you've operated a certain way, now you know, oh, I went to an unconscious bias training, or I went to a microaggressions training once for a half an hour. I've learned a little bit, but you don't have a playbook for how do you completely shift? How do you navigate when you've had these pathways of mindset and behavior that's been a part of your life your whole life. That's actually, I'm writing a book right now called The Modern Male Leader, the playbook for the well-intentioned man, because I really care about helping make it easier for all those good guys out there to recognize, oops, what are some of these bad behaviors that have no ill intent behind it, but it's actually creating a culture that is not inclusive and not empowering. And in many cases can be demoralizing. Yeah. And it, look, it's your, nothing will bring more humility than taking one of those unconscious bias. You're kind of like, Oh, whoa. Like, because subconsciously, which is what it is subconsciously, it's just like when you watch TV as, as kids, you would see the same look, the same experience. Hey, every day mom would wake up and make pancakes and eggs and sausage and this massive breakfast that seemingly no one in, on their TV shows actually ever ate. But you were like, okay, mom, which rightfully so, I, I believe moms do a much better job. Their purpose on earth at a certain point in life is nurturing. So, and then the father leaves with the briefcase and the sons leave, but the family all looks the same. The behavior is the exact same on every single show that you watch. So it's it's almost the same mentality. It's like, okay, well, in order to make it to the top, you have to be an asshole and you have to be loud and you have to be boisterous and you have to talk down and the female's the secretary. And subconsciously in your mind, that's all you ever, you play out until we've had this massive shift and pivot. And for me, it's not necessarily like, okay, well, we just need to have more women in this, in these roles and responsibilities. It's like, no, you and I have discussed this. It's giving them the choice and the opportunity. They still have to work hard to get there. Well, and that's exactly right. Everything should be an even playing field. It's actually one of the thorns in my side is when everything's all about like girl power, women are better than men. Like, uh, no, we are all amazing. Mm -hmm. So we all need to be afforded the same opportunities. And quite frankly, we all have biases. If anyone's listening, if you think you don't have any biases, go take the Harvard Implicit Association test, which is yep. free. You can find it online. And you'll realize you've got some biases yourself. And so then it's just about going from, okay, now it's not unconscious bias because now you're conscious of it. Now it's just bias. So then it's about how do you shift from that to conscious inclusion starting to recognize what are those behaviors and then how can you course correct with time and even having the humility and the self-awareness when you're like, oh, I don't know what to do in this situation to have some trusted friends and advisors who you can say, I wasn't sure what to do here. What would you do? What would you say? Uh, was this wrong? And then also really having the vulnerabilities that if you do do something wrong, to just go and have a conversation saying, you know what, probably shouldn't have said that you know, I apologize and it won't happen again. And please let me know in the future if there's anything that, you know, you'd have any feedback for me on. And that's for all of us, you know, regardless of gender, race, age, sexual preference, you name it. Like there's so many levels where 
there's sensitivity and there should be because there's now enough knowledge out there that things don't need to look like the world did in 1950. Yeah. And I think that because I, I do read up a lot and follow a different leaders a lot throughout history and, and obviously through history you learn and there's behaviors that need to inherently evolve and change and have, but you're right. It's, it's just visually seeing something in a different light. And it's not just about to your point, like, all right, well, let me just only hire females. Cause I have to hit a certain number. It's like, okay, this all looks different now. And it makes you a better leader because now you have a different perspective. And this is actually what Rosie and I talked about on, on the podcast with her. It's, it's very much now you get a different take on things. She's like, I'm a mom with two kids. And as you know her very well, you know, she's a badass in her career, but she's also equally badass as a mom. So now if you're a male leader that this individual reports to, now you can get a different perspective of like, hey, we're in the data industry or we're in the advertising industry. Let me get your take on this. What does it look like to be a working mom? And it really evolves the entire experience in the workforce because now you have more empathy. Like your kid's sick. Maybe dad can't leave to leave work because he's in New York, but mom is working remotely. She can leave. So as a, a male employee, you show more empathy towards that female employee or person of color or different ages. And now you can just start being more empathetic, period. And I think that makes you a better leader. Absolutely. And, and I think as with time, we start to get rid of these phrases like working mom. Nope, she's just a mom. Or I'm sorry, she's just a leader. Yep. She's just a boss. Um, she's not a lady boss. She's not a girl boss. She's just a boss. Because quite frankly, I've worked with probably thousands of amazing men throughout my life. And not, never once have I heard, oh, he's a working dad. How do you do it, working dad? Right. Yeah. right? Oh, it's not a conversation. Who's ever said such things? And it's funny, I've actually been on the inverse of that. And I think I do have a little bit more empathy than many working moms, as we were just talking about, or professional women. And that when my youngest, I have two sons, and the youngest one was about two years old, my husband stopped working and he became a stay-at-home dad. And at the time, we didn't know anybody else ever who had a stay-at-home dad in their family. And he had to actually go online to try and find a community of other people who he could relate to. But I would still get questions all the time from people at work of like, oh, it must be nice to, you know, have somebody paying the bills for you. Or, and I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, you're, you're now having these preconceived notions that are so antithetical to what my life was. But I also got to see what it's like when you are the sole breadwinner and you have a partner at home who's taking care of the home front mm -hmm. and the kids and how that can also change your career and your capabilities and your mindset and your ability to work and grow and climb the ladder. And so I think having all of those experiences of being the professional manager and leader that I was while my husband was working full time at the same time and seeing how hard it was to juggle all of that with two kids and commuting and everything else. And then saying, Oh gosh, it's so much easier. I was like the 1950s man right. who I'd come home from work and I'd have, you know, a nice, amazing dinner on the table and the bills were paid and the kitchen was clean. And, and so it gave me this totally different perspective on all those different roles. I love it. And, and again, we always talk about this, uh, within our house as well. Cause you know, my wife, we have the infamous triplets that are almost 11 and 
we have a nine-year-old with Wes and, you know, my wife, very much entrepreneur, our own businesses, small businesses. And we talk about that all the time, but she's always like, what's my worth? What's my worth? So you and I were talking about this in Vegas, and this is an interesting phenomenon. And you had a very clear and concise answer. So what I've experienced, and I know you have as well, is over time, because unfortunately, in a lot of companies, the executives that sit up top or on the board that are female women, it's very, it's very cutthroat. And if you recall the conversation, I've, I've told you, it's like, man, I, at least guys, it's just like, you'll, you'll let them know real fast. And, and there's this kind of hierarchy of how you, how you work, but because there's more males that are sitting in the executive role, unfortunately, fortunately today, and that is changing. Talk about that a bit. The phenomenon of like, I don't want to call it sabotage, but just like constant, like, I thought we were like all women lift each other up, but that's not the behavior that oftentimes happens in corporate America. Yeah, unfortunately it's not. And it's something that in all the work that I do, I hear so often from women is, you know, I actually have a really great male mentor or manager, but some of the toughest relationships I've had have been with other women. And my perspective on it, if I look at it is from the evolutionary psychology perspective in that tokenism, meaning when you only have one person in a situation, so let's say if you were dealing with a, a board of directors and there's only one woman on the board, well, then she's the token woman. And for decades, that's what we had, because we had tokenism, not only for, for gender, but for race in many cases as well and sexual preference. But let's just talk about gender for a moment. So if you were the only woman and you know that based on what you've seen in the past, you are going to continue being the only one. And if it's not you, it's going to be somebody else. Then what would end up happening is this scarcity mindset where women are not trying to pull other women up by reaching down and helping them along because then there's that fear of, well, if I give up this spot, I'm going to be replaced. And then to your point about your life, what's my worth? What's my value if I lose my place and my seat at the table? And so I think for far too long, there was this real competitive streak between women and what we're really trying to, to change and shift. And this is part of what's amazing about the DPAA Women's Empowerment Initiative is really about the power of everyone working together. Because also research shows that when you do have tokenism and there's just one uh, marginalized person representing a community, that person's input and perspective is essentially largely ignored. Yep. So there is no reason to have one woman or one black man or one, you know, of, of anything that's different than all the others. No sense in having one token at the table. It's not changing the equation. When you have two of the same, so you now have a board that has two women on the board, what research shows is that those two women will get basically played off of each other and then everybody else who's in the majority will be like, see, why do we even have women on the board? Mm. And so what you really start to change the game is when you have at least three people of that same underrepresented community that's contributing. And so once you recognize that, it becomes so important if you're from any marginalized community to think about, it is critical for me to be reaching down and lifting up or reaching across and pulling other people in who view the world as I do or have had similar experiences so that we can bring those diverse perspectives to the table. Because again, also scores of research shows that the more diverse a company is, the faster they innovate, 
the higher loyalty and retention, the quicker they make decisions, the better decisions that they make. And in fact, even in difficult times, like in the 2008 economic crisis, those companies that had more diverse teams fared better through that time. Right. Yeah. So staying on the, the DPAA with the, with we do, what can we do better in the industry, in the industry as a whole? And then I'm going to ask you as a male leader in the industry, I know I personally have implored my team to, you know, listen in on, on a lot of the podcasts that you guys do, a lot of the, the lunch and learns that you do, but you know, it, it's like anything, you know, as a kid, I looked up to Cal Ripken and I wanted to be a second baseman in the MLB. So guess what I did? I surrounded myself with people that played baseball that had the same desires. And I believe very strong board that you guys have, the more people that women can see in this situation that are successful like yourself. And hopefully the takeaway of this podcast is that like, Hey, I want to be Jennifer Willie when I grow up without having to do all the speed bumps and all the things. What, what advice would you give even just to my team and all the uh, women listeners? Sure. So the first thing I would say is be really proactive about building out your quote unquote personal board of directors. And we actually do have a DPAA workshop that will be coming up in March specific to this. So everyone should make sure that they uh, join in and tune into that. When you think about that person on board of directors, it's who do you have that's mentoring you? Somebody that can help guide you through your professional journey, who can help you problem solve and think of you when opportunities should arise. And making sure that those mentors are not all just like you. They all don't look the same. You want diversity in who's mentoring you. If you are a woman, you do not need just to find a female mentor. Throughout my career, some of my best mentors have been people who do not identify as women. Let's just say that. And then I starting to identify and building relationships with people who can be sponsors. And a sponsor is somebody who has power and influence, they have political capital. They are that person who can say your name when you're not in the room. And your name needs to be said when it's time for things like the annual calibration that happens within most large corporations where they identify who's going to get promoted, who's going to get a base level increase, who's going to get equity, and who's also being set up for the succession plan. So you need to build out those kinds of sponsor relationships where they know who you are and what you've accomplished and where you're looking to go. And then I'd say one of the most important things to do is to find peer mentors. So these are people who are pretty much your same level, who you trust and respect and admire, but who aren't too close to you at work. So let's, I'll give you an example. If you're a, a salesperson or a business development account director, you don't necessarily want that peer mentor being the other person on your team because there will be those times where it becomes a bit of a zero-sum game. You want somebody who has a complementary skill set that you can be completely open and transparent with and problem solve with and bounce ideas off of. And I even say set up free career therapy where you have, you know, an hour call on a monthly basis and you spend half an hour talking through a challenge that one of you are having and then a half an hour with the other. And then, of course, always with all of those folks, lifting each other up, saying their names, giving them opportunities. And then that's only going to help to, to fuel the fire with time. Yeah. And I think the other thing, is, and that's fantastic advice, is also just look at it as like, you're not a token. You're not a number. Like understanding that there's leaders out there, most leaders, hopefully today, aren't out there just trying to say like, all right, let me pit these two against each other and see who survives and when. Sure, that may be part of corporate America, but it shouldn't be, hey, what is the gender, ethnicity, age, 
sexual preference of that human. And then I'm going to make the decision. So touch on that a bit. Cause I, there is this, and I, that's one of the things I love about you. Cause there are a lot of, we won't call them frauds, but if you search online and it's like, you know, women empowerment and all this, there's a lot of people that it's like, make it to the top and squash as many men as possible on the way up. What advice would you give? Because it's not just about like, Hey, you get a seat at the table and then you're just going to rise to the top just because, because you're a female and you have, they're going to find a token. You're going to find, talk about, talk about the work that has to be done beyond that. Absolutely. And, and I think it's so clear that if the world was blind, let's say, that we'd all just essentially have to, or we'd have that ability to just be valued based on what we're bringing to the table. Um, you can't see this if you're listening in right now, but I'm going to show my friend Ian here. I'm a very big believer in karma. And so I have this little karma jar that I keep right by my desk to remind myself that we constantly need to be putting that good karma and helping other people and doing what you can to advance yourself and everyone else around you at the same time. And then when those tough times come, I truly believe that that's when the universe delivers and you will have those people who will step up and help you at the same time. I would say it, it, it can be a challenge. There's always bad eggs in every bunch. It's just like you said, like most guys are the good guys. So most folks who are from any underrepresented community are amazing and they want to work harder and they shouldn't have to work harder. They should have to work just as hard as everybody else. Correct. But of course, there's always going to be that one story that then gets shared over and over and over of, well, I deserved this promotion. I didn't get it because they're, you know, they wanted a woman. And so they put this woman up and she wasn't even any good. And then that's the kind of story that gets recirculated all the time. And then you have people who are starting to feel like it is a zero sum game and you're on the outside and you're the loser in that zero-sum game. And I think the more that we realize as we help each other grow and develop and innovate and accelerate where we are today, we're all going to be that much more successful. Yeah, so same question for males like myself, because I, I I oftentimes do log in and listen in on on the not only the We Do, but the work the OAAA is doing and uh, quite frankly, the entire out-of-home industry that's very focused on this now, what could we do better? And, and I'll give you my quick answer, and I'd love for you to kind of tell me good and bad. You know, again, having four female employees that are all very eager and young, and and again, like if we were blind, these are the best four individuals that have applied for these jobs throughout the, the last few years. One of the things that I make very clear within my team is clear roles and responsibilities, and then I like to call it like the gray area. So that way they understand their merits and their worth and, and their reward and their job is here. And they don't have to have this, like I'm doing air quotes here, cat fighting to see and prove who's the best within, within the team, because each individual in the team has a role and responsibility. And again, you can remove gender from that. It can be, that's the way a manager should. That's one of the big takeaways that I've learned over the last two, three years through this. What else do you have? Or is that bad, Ian? Don't ever do that. And, and no, I think everybody should always have total clarity on the scope of their roles and responsibilities. So I think that's great. I think regardless of the composition of your team, that's always going to help everyone to be able to really thrive in that kind of environment. I think there are a lot of things that men just need to be aware of. But again, they can move towards this conscious inclusion 
and recognize some of those behaviors. So one big challenge is what's called non-promotable work. So women tend to be the ones who make the party plans and celebrate the birthdays and order the lunches and clean up from the lunches and are asked to take the notes and share out the notes afterwards. It doesn't matter their level. And no one's ever been promoted because you're like, oh gosh, Yuko plans the best bridal showers for everybody who gets married. Nope, that doesn't happen. Right. Um, so recognizing that everybody needs to pitch in to clean up after a team meeting, if you're in person or to take turns on the, you know, social chair committee. Another really big thing is recognizing that women are interrupted far more often than men are. So research shows that women are typically interrupted three times more than men. And it's at every level. And there's a number of different reasons for it. But starting to recognize that and giving somebody the space to finish And if you are one of those good guys who's not interrupting other people, but that you see that there are some serial offenders who are in your meetings who are potentially regularly interrupting other women or, again, any marginalized community because interrupting is a sign of power and control. If you see that happening, just say, you know, hey, Bob, hold up a second. I didn't finish hearing what Shanine had to say. Let's Mm -hmm. let's let Shanine finish now. Mm -hmm. And you know, having those kinds of abilities to be that upstander can be a major impact. And then I'd say the other big thing, and I know this can be sensitive, but mentor and sponsor women in your organization and outside. So helping provide introductions and advice and guidance is critical for the next generation. And that was actually one of the reasons why I started a women's ERG at one of the companies that I work for is we were in Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show, and I had set up a big meeting with the executive leadership of the big partner that we were working with. And at the end of the dinner, I was standing alone in the room with the CEO and the COO of the company and myself, the only three people who were at the dinner. And I said, okay, so what's next? And they said, oh, we're going to go smoke some cigars, drink some scotch, and play crap. And those are not the things I personally like to do, but I'm all for being a part of the team. So I was like, okay, great. And they said, oh, okay. And let's get these two younger guys who are both in Vegas, who are working at the company, much younger, more junior. Let's go pick them up. And I'm like, awesome. That'd be great. The more the merrier. And they're like, okay, Jen, uh, have a great night. Get home safe. And they turned around and walked out of the room. And it was that realization. And, and quite frankly, then a few weeks later, when one of those younger guys had gotten a major promotion, that I went back to the CEO and I said, you know, I think it would be really valuable for us to have a mentorship program in this company. And he said, I don't need a mentorship program. I already mentor someone. And he talked about that younger guy. Mm. And, and that's part of the problem is he was his mentor and his sponsor, right? He was the one saying his name when the decisions needed to be made. And I know that it can be tricky sometimes and men have some fear around the fact of, oh, well, what if I take this younger woman on my team out to lunch or dinner, and then people start assuming that there are things happening between us. Well, would they assume that if you took a younger man out? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows in today's world? And so keep it all clear, well-lit, public places. Don't take your mentees or protégés uh, out to a bar. Right. Mm -hmm. 
keep it at a, a an alcohol-free meal or virtual coffee is an amazing way where you can really get to know someone and help them problem solve and give them some guidance, but not have to worry about any of the potential chatter that you might be worried about. Yeah. And you, that's what you and I talked about in Vegas a good bit, ironically, because the good and the bad happens in Vegas, but in this situation and your time and my time in Vegas was very good, but we did discuss that, right? Because I expressed my fear. You know, I said, look, I, my fear is, is in today's world that there's a microscope and there's a lot of misconceptions and there's, there's a lot of like assumptions, you know? So after that conversation, cause you did give the exact same advice that you just gave, it's, you start to think about it a bit more and it's kind of beyond and outside of your realm. Um, I hate gossiping and I think it's toxicity and it's why social media is so terrible but it's also the individuals that are around the company that are making those assumptions that are starting to whisper under their ear. And I, I expressed to you, I said, one of my biggest fears as I've grown in the company is just that it's like, look, I have these, you know, not today, but I, I had some very intelligent employees and there was that fear. It was like, oh, I'm not taking them to lunch because as you walk down the stairs, people may talk and as this may happen. And if they get a promotion, I don't want that to happen. So, you know, you you don't want to be the male leader that is afraid that something is perceived and then at the cost, like your story, at the cost of that female getting promoted because it's like, well, I'll just promote this younger guy because everyone knows that everything's fine there and it wasn't anything that got that promotion for them. Well, and, and that's where I can see where that fear comes from. And especially, I mean, we've had political leaders who have said things like that, like, oh, I can't have lunch with a woman now. I don't want anyone to say anything, but we need to be strong enough and know ourselves well enough and set that example to say, I'm not going to let those bad actors tarnish the impact that I want to make on the world and on the next generation. And because look, we know people are going to talk all the time, especially the more successful you are, the more money you make, the better looking you are, whatever it might be, the more people just want to tear you down, unfortunately. And so if you're going to live in a place of fear and let them tear you down when you haven't even done anything, well, then why even bother? Show them just, you know, how you can use that power and influence and strength and empathy and caring to actually make the world a better place. Last tough, controversial topic, um, and you and I didn't discuss this, but it was a question that I, I definitely wanted to, to ask you being a, and again, working mom, because I think it's funny because my wife's a working mom and she doesn't work for a company. We call it, she works for Jacob Dallimore Incorporated because running four children is way more difficult than any of our jobs, right? So a, no, lo- sure. a lot of young women, right? They get to a point in their career where they make a decision. And again, regions are different. You know, in the North, it's a lot different than in the South. And the East Coast is different than the West Coast. It, there's there's this struggle that occurs where it's like, I really want to be a mom and I really want to just focus and raise a family. But I'm very fearful that, you know, my worth is gone. Or the opposite, you know, I really want to work my way up through my career. and But I really want to have kids. But I don't want to have kids because I don't want to, you know, neglect them. I know it's a very complex topic and conversation, but it's oftentimes it's, it's a question that I get asked often by females outside of the company. It's like, there's this struggle that I have, like, how do I do both? And so I'm sure you give a lot of advice around that. So I'd love to kind of get your thoughts being a badass mom slash female leader in this space. 
Oh, well, thank you. And I'm actually glad that you asked. I just had a conversation with a female leader um, when I was at the IAB annual leadership meeting last week. And she was telling me that uh, she's relatively newly married and she's trying to decide whether or not to have kids because she doesn't want it to stunt her career any further. She's been on this real fast track. And my guidance to her was, thankfully, in the world that we're in today, that should never be a consideration. If you don't want children, you absolutely should not have children. But if you want children and you're worried about the impact that it can make on your career, that's a major mistake. Because especially with the flexibility in organizations today, there are a thousand shades of gray in terms of how much you can tune up or, or turn up being the involved parent versus being the, being the superstar executive. And I've seen people at you know, every end of the spectrum. We all make decisions. For me, I made a decision early on in my career. I was at Yahoo. I absolutely loved it. And I had an opportunity to, this is before the days of working from home. We're talking 19 years ago. I had an opportunity to get a job where I'd actually make more money, but it wasn't a company I was excited about as Yahoo at the time, but it was a full-time work from home situation. And I had a newborn. And I knew that my career trajectory would be much faster and higher if I stayed at Yahoo at that time. But I made the choice for myself that I wanted to be able to primarily work from home so I could be there for my kids. A few years later, when I had two kids and a, and a younger one, I said, you know, what? it's time to put the pedal to the metal again now and step it up and take on more of a, a leadership role and go back to a role where you know, I would be working in New York City and commuting from New Jersey where I live. And, and I think the more women recognize that there are a thousand shades of gray that you can decide, guess what? I had one of my best friends at the time. She was also became a new mom and she commuted into New York City five days a week. And she had an amazing old pair who did so much to make it easy for her on the back end at home. And she loved her career. She made a boatload of money. She's got a few different homes all around the world now. And that was another path. And guess what? I had other friends who were TV news anchors, psychologists, attorneys, who completely stopped working for a few years and said, I'm going to focus my time and energy for the foreseeable future. I'm being just a, a mom first. And when I'm ready, I'll get back into it. So it, it's like anything with with child rearing, I think the same as, as women, if they decide to become nursing moms, there's a thousand ways you can do it. Uh, it's not just one formula. And I think once you recognize that, that you can blaze your own trail. And then if you decide that the, the trail that you blaze is really thorny and you're not happy on that trail, well, guess what? You can just cut a new path and, and, and find your way from there. And there's nothing that you have to decide upon for the rest of your life. Yeah. I love that advice. Get off the train, get back on the train. We've, we've had a lot of personal friends that have done that as well, but it's also incumbent on the generational leaders, right? So it's this perception of like nine to five, you got to be at work and I don't care if your kid's sick or your kid's got a baseball game. You know, I'm just as guilty leaving here and leaving my team. And I'm like, Hey guys, Jake's got a baseball game. I'm out early. And I believe that if you're a true leader, you understand how to better manage your time. But more importantly, when you're managing your, your employees, that's not some reason why you don't get a promotion or why you don't advance in your career. Cause it's like, well, Janice has a kid, so she's not going to be able to work as hard. That's uh, today's world is different. And I truly believe that leaders should open up to that 
idea of the importance. Cause look, if you're a fantastic, and I love that you said that as well, just cause you're a fantastic mom or dad, by the way, cause a working dad's equally, thanks for giving that shout out. If you're a parent first, I can assure you, you are going to be a harder worker. You're going to be more diligent about what you do because you need to provide for your family. And you may not put your family to the back burner to work, but I bet you those three hours, five hours that you're at work compared to a lot of people working eight hours is significantly more impactful. And I think that's what leaders need to be aware of and allowing more moms and dads to be flexible within their work careers. Absolutely. I think if people just start focusing on outcomes in everything, yeah, then it makes all of life so much easier. I think it's really easy for companies, well, smart companies, who have sales teams to be able to say, okay, let's see how flexible work arrangements and hybrid can go because you have a goal, you meet or exceed that goal. Why would you possibly care what hours that person is working? And that was actually what kept me at that company that I left Yahoo for. Big shout out to John Goscott. Sending you love, John. He was the one who brought me to this other company. And he said, I know you have a newborn. Um, I actually want you to sign up for that swim class with your son at like three or four o'clock on a Thursday, because as long as you're meeting or beating your goals, I don't care when you work. That's all that matters. But I do know that if you're having those experiences with your family, you're going to be more loyal than anyone. And it's true. I turned down offers that would have made me millions over and over again with Google, YouTube, Facebook, and many more, because I would have lost that freedom and flexibility as a new parent. And I said, that to me is worth way more than any dollar that you can give me. Yeah, I love it. Look, you and I could talk for for hours about this. And hopefully the takeaway is just that is you have so many possibilities on the leadership side. You know, it's not a number. It's not a token. It's it's truly the human and individual and pick the best person and give everyone a seat at the table and you'll get a much broader perspective in life and your company inherently will benefit. We do is something that I believe everyone should sign up and you're you're on the board of, but also Wet Cement will definitely in the blog post drop drop in a lot there because obviously you do much more than DEI. You're you're a consultant, you're a speaker, you're a fantastic speaker. And look, I, I'm privileged to know you and I will continue to lean on you for a lot of advice as I manage my fantastic four female employees and also my two daughters that are, I tell them every day, they're so much better than their brothers at everything. Well, I, I, it's awesome what a committed leader and father you are. And I'm just so honored and privileged to, to be able to have this conversation with you and many more in the future. All right. Thanks, my friend. Thanks so much for this. Thank you. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.